Hi, hello, and welcome to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. My name is Audio Moore, and I'm uh, I'm 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 grinning ear to ear right now because moments ago, when I started recording this podcast, the college football right before I started playing or recording this podcast, the college football playoff rankings were announced, and my Ohio State Buckeyes, your Ohio State Buckeyes, our Ohio State Buckeyes. We're ranked the number one team in the country according to the college football playoff. What's that? Do you guys hear that? Oh my gosh. Listen closely. Do you hear this? Uh oh. This is special. Where Where are my Buckeyes at? You know what this is. This is special. This is what we do it for. This is Carmen, Ohio. The Ohio State University. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, man. How's that make you feel? How does that make you feel, baby? Oh. See, now I'm not going to sing the lyrics because nobody wants me to sing the lyrics. And I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but I know the important ones. But you should come and sing Ohio's Praise with me because that's what we're going to do right now at the start of this podcast. And dear Lord, I hope I don't get a copyright strike <laughs> because I'm excited, man. I am excited. Listen, there's work to do. There's plenty of time and, and there's a lot of stuff left. A lot of football still to be played in this football season. And Ohio State has some big games. They play Penn State, who, by the way, was ranked number four in the college football playoff. They play the Big Ten championship game if they win their the, the rest of their games. And they also play a team um, that plays their games in the state north of Ohio. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Uh, not many people have, but they play a team. That, they got to go up there and play a game. Anyways, th- this is huge. This is huge for Ohio State. This is huge for the country because all season long, everyone has said far and away, Ohio State is the best team in the country. Ohio State is the best team in the country. And you look at that, you know, the college football playoff has said, and the committee has said in the past that the eye test plays a role. If you look at Ohio State with the eye test and don't think they're the best team in the country, then you might be blind because they are, and it's not close. And they have been from the start of the season. Now, people will gripe and, and talk about their, their schedule and their conference and this and that and yada, yada. That's fine. That gripe can be, can be made for a lot of people. You know, Clemson is outside the top four. By the way, I didn't, I didn't tell you. Ohio State won, LSU two, Alabama three, Penn State four, Clemson five, and Georgia six. That's your top six. As we know, the four are the four that gets in get in. So Clemson fans, we've been saying all along, they play in a terrible conference in the ACC. They haven't played anybody. They had a huge scare against North Carolina, who's not a good football team. Well, they're they're a good football team. They're not. <coughs> that's a game, excuse me, that, that Clemson should have just ran away with. 
and they nearly lost. And, you know, if Mac Brown called a better play, then maybe they would. So I think the committee took that into consideration. But here's the thing. Ohio State plays Penn State in two weeks. LSU plays Alabama this week. So a week from now, these rankings might not be the same. I would expect Ohio State still to be number one. They could potentially get jumped if LSU beats Alabama. I wouldn't see Alabama, if they lose to LSU, being outside of the top five, at the very least, depending on what Penn State and Clemson do. It's just, this is exciting, man. If you're Ohio State, you finally feel like you've been getting the, the you finally feel that you've gotten the respect that you feel you've earned from this season so far. I know Ohio State fans are hyped. Uh, people are nervous because, you know, now, you know, it's getting real. <laughs> it's getting real as we get now into the, to the, the back half of this season. But, you know, I feel better. And I was telling, I've been talking to my friends about this. I feel better about this Ohio State team than I ever have probably in any, in any Ohio State team in my lifetime because their defense is just dominating. It is a, it is a sheer dominating force. I've never seen an Ohio State defense this good. I've never seen an Ohio State team this good. And that includes the 02 National Championship team and the 2015 National Championship team, or 2014 National Championship team. So, you know, I look at that, I look at those teams, and like they're special, like they're great teams, but this team I think is better. I really do. Their offense is good. It continues to get better each week. Justin Fields is as elite of a playmaker they've had since Braxton Miller at the quarterback position. And he, to me, is, is such a beautiful mix of Terrell Pryor and Braxton Miller at the quarterback position. He's a much better quarterback than Braxton is, a, a thrower of the ball, I should say. But his elusiveness, his ex- ability to extend plays, to get outside the pocket, to just keep the chains moving. And when you have a defense that's playing at such a high level, it makes you a really hard team to beat. And you have the best player in the country who I harped on last week on this podcast, Chase Young. And yes, I'm a homer. I'm biased. I just played Carmen, Ohio. I'm an Ohio State fan. Get over it. Chase Young should be an absolute candidate for the Heisman Trophy. Right now, I think he should win it. Depending on what happens over the next stretch of games here, he very well could win it with a big game against Penn State, with a big game against whoever the uh, team they play at the end of the season is, so on and so forth. He absolutely could establish himself, if nothing else, as a Heisman finalist, to be one of the three guys sitting in that chair in New York City. So I'm excited. I I think the Clemson ranking is perfect. Penn State, I was a little bit surprised. But, you know, they've done – they've done – They've had a really nice seat. They started slow. I didn't expect anything really out of Penn State at the start of this year after a couple excuse me, after a couple games and I wasn't sure what to think. And now I I've been very impressed with them and I can't wait. You know, I was just talking to my friend Kate. She was saying, you know, Penn State should be more the rival than that school up north because it's always a better game. There's always something on the line with those two. And Ohio State seemingly blows out the other team every year. And I was like, you know, you're right. It's it's always a good game. It means more. And it's been much better of a series, a, a more of a true rivalry than the game has been in our lifetime the last 20 years. So uh, I think that's interesting. I can't wait. I can't wait for a couple weeks ago, weeks from now. But the period, the, the, the thing we have to look at, period, 
is Maryland. Maryland's coming up this week. Focus on Maryland. Take care of Maryland, and you go go on to the next one. And uh, I, I, for one, I'm excited. I can't wait. You can probably hear it in my voice, man. Listen, when you root for an NBA team that's no good, when you root for an NFL team that's 0-8, when you root for a baseball team that just lost a million games again, when you root for teams that just generally stink – you put all your eggs into one basket when it comes to Ohio State football. And if you're not from Ohio, if, you, if you're if you not from here, it's just different. I don't know how to explain it, but this is what we do. We love Ohio State. We love football. And Saturdays in the fall, it's about that scarlet and gray. It's about whoever they're playing. It's about Carmen, Ohio. It's about OH. It's about IO. That's just how it is. And it means a lot to us. So I'm excited. This, you know, I just, I feel like they finally got the respect um, that they haven't gotten so far this year. And and I know that's a, a loosely thrown around term. Um but you know it is what it is. I'm I'm excited as you can tell um uh as you can as you can tell by my voice. All right, so we do have some other stuff to get to uh on this podcast. Thank you for listening. This is the 10th episode. I can't believe we've already done 10 episodes uh of the Ball Don't Lie podcast and uh you guys continue to to blow my mind with the positive thoughts and and uh, all the great things, really, that that you've said. Uh, so, what have we missed over the past week? The, the Washington Nationals—they won the World Series in Game Seven, the first time ever in the World Series where the the road team won every single game. Um, and that was really just a magical a magical season in general by the Nats, who were down twelve games under five hundred on May twenty fourth. You thought this team is is dead in the water. They're not hitting. They're not pitching. They're not doing anything right. They come to Cincinnati. They sweep the Reds, sheds tear, and then they go on this miraculous run all the way to Game Seven of the World Series in Houston. They beat the Astros, who were there for the third consecutive year, and it's just the Astros were in had reached the the ALCS for the th- third straight year. Two out of three years they've been in the World Series. So they lose Bryce Harper in the offseason. He goes to a division rival in Philly. He gets paid a billion dollars. They miss the playoffs. The Nats make the playoffs. They take it to game seven. They, the Nats make the game, make, make the playoffs, the, the MLB postseason, as a wild card team. And this is, this is just something that grinds my gears, really, as they like to say, chaps my ass. There were people in Cincinnati that were pissed that the Reds pissed at the Reds. People first of all, people are always pissed at the Reds here. And this is a, a a topic for another podcast. But there were people that were pissed here because the Reds were kind of setting their sights eventually on the wild card. And they say that well you shouldn't be going after the wild card. You shouldn't be aiming for the wild card. I don't care. Get to the playoffs. If it has to be a wild card game, it's a wild card game. Get to the playoffs. Anything can happen. All you got to do is make the dance. And that's what the Nationals did. And it's happened time and time again over the course of history in sports. The Nats make the wild card game. They go through a magical run in the NL playoffs where they win the World Series. Steven Strasburg wins the World Series MVP. And he has four years at $100 million left on his contract. He opts out two days later. <laughs> so he's going to be a free agent along with Garrett Cole, who was – the ace of the Houston staff throughout their playoffs in the World Series, and Garrett Cole never pitched in Game 7. That has been a, a big issue in talk radio in Houston because A.J. Hinch did not pitch Garrett Cole in Game 7. By the time they would have wanted to use him, 
the game was already out of hand and it just wasn't it just didn't make sense so Garrett Cole never saw the mountain gates game seven he was very adamant about the fact that he was never going to play for the Astros again Uh, so a sad ending there as well there were some gold glove winners announced we'll get to that later on um the NFL, there, there's a lot going on, specifically in the state of Ohio. The Bengals were on the bye, but the Browns lost again, which is magical and beautiful and wonderful and great. And uh, it seems like all hell is breaking loose in Cleveland, which we just, as you know, we love to see that anytime. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Freddie Kitchens, Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr., kind of the situation that's going on there and why I think Freddie Kitchens is getting a little bit too much blame and why I don't think... The Browns will will fire him um, this season. I don't. The, it could happen at the end of the season, but I don't think they'll fire him uh, during the season. The Miami Dolphins in a huge win for the Cincinnati Bengals. They beat the New York Jets, and now the Bengals are the only winless team left in the NFL. So that's interesting. Um, I, there's just a lot going on, and uh, Jameis Winston's blind. So yeah, so that's exciting. So. Welcome into the Ball Don't Lie podcast. We're going to go through a uh, switch from college football and, and a little bit of baseball, and we're going to go, uh, we'll circle back to baseball and look at the Gold Glove winners uh, in a little bit. But now we're going to break down what was, I believe, week nine, week nine already, unbelievably, of the NFL season. All right, so let's get right into it. Um, week 10 of the NFL started on Thursday night football with the San Francisco 49ers and the Arizona Cardinals. The 49ers win this one. They go to 8-0. And spoiler alert, the Patriots lost on Sunday night football. So the Niners, the San Francisco 49ers, are the only undefeated team left in the NFL. They're at 8-0. The Cardinals go to 3-5-1. and Jimmy Garoppolo had four passing touchdowns. It's the most for a Niners quarterback since 2012. Uh, they've had some struggles at that position. The Texans over at Wembley Stadium in London, all over the Jags, 26-3. The Texans are 10-2 against the Jags in the Bill O'Brien era, which is since 2014. Texans go to 6-3. Jags fall to 4-5. And, and then it was announced earlier today, today being Tuesday, that Nick Foles will return as the starting quarterback this week for Jacksonville. Gardner Minshew and Minshew Mania for the moment is over. The Redskins and Bills from Orchard Park, New York. The Bills win this one 24-9. They're 6-2 and two, and probably the most, like the least talked about 6-2 and two team in the NFL because they, they still don't feel like they're very good. Their offense is ancient. Their defense is solid. And it'll keep them in some games. But Josh Allen, I think there's still a lot of work to be done there for the Bills quarterback. Uh, the Redskins go to 1-8. and eight. They're terrible. Buffalo's defense, though, zero offensive touchdowns allowed uh, for the first time this season in that game. Titans-Panthers, the Panthers win this one 30-20. They've been playing good ball lately. Uh, it's their first home win against the Titans in franchise history. Tennessee goes to 4-5. and five. And also announced earlier today, Cam Newton is going to the injured reserve list. And his season is over, and likely his career in Carolina is over as well. Vikings and Chiefs, this was a good game at Arrowhead Stadium. The Chiefs almost lost again, which would have been their third loss at Arrowhead this year. Patrick Mahomes didn't play. Harrison Butker did, and he kicked the 44-yard game-winning field goal as time expired. Both these teams go to 6-3. and three. The Jets and the Dolphins, as I mentioned earlier, the Dolphins get their first win since week 14 of 2018. Both these teams go to 1-7. Miami wins it 26-18. to 
and the Bengals are the only remaining winless team in the NFL. The Eagles beat the Bears 22-14. to um, Twitter on Sunday was going crazy over the Chicago Bears' complete lack of offense. Um, the Bears, I think, had 12 yards in the first half, maybe, which total yards based on sacks was like maybe down to like one passing yard in the first half, which is just insane. Um, Mitchell Trubisky, a lot of people feel like the Bears should have tried to trade for Andy Dalton by the time, obviously, that that Dalton knew he was available or anyone knew Dalton was was not the starter. It was too late for a trade. I don't know if that would have fixed their problems, but they have problems, and Mitch Trubisky is the biggest one at the moment. Carson Wentz, though, had a passing touchdown. That's uh, 12 straight games with one for him. That's tied for the longest active streak in the league. Colts and Steelers from Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. The uh, the Steelers have now won six straight games against the Colts. Jacoby Brissett with an MCL sprain early in this one. Brian Hoyer came in, played well, but did throw a, uh, a 90-yard pick six to Minka Fitzpatrick. Ended up eventually being the difference in the game. The Steelers win this one 26-24. Steelers back to 500 at 4-4, four and, four, and the Colts go to 5-3. and three. Lions and the Raiders out in Oakland. First time at home in 49 days for the Raiders. And they win 31-24 over Detroit. Detroit falls to 3-4-1, the Raiders to 4-4. And Josh Jacobs, the rookie running back out of Alabama, the most rush yards by a rookie running back in team history for Oakland. The Seahawks and the Buccaneers, I had a feeling, I told told some of my friends, this is the type of game that the Seahawks would mess around and lose. They didn't. They won in overtime. It should have never got that far because of a missed field goal. Russell Wilson, listen, the man's the MVP, period, point blank. He's the MVP of this league, and we'll talk about that later. I ran a couple couple polls on Twitter uh, about a few things. Russell Wilson had five passing touchdowns. That ties a career high. Seahawks win this one 40-34. Tampa goes to 2-6, and and the Seahawks to 7-2. Browns and Broncos at mile high. Denver 24, Cleveland 19, Denver to 3 and 6, the Browns to 2 and 6. Brandon Allen started for Denver. He had 193 passing yards and two touchdowns in his NFL debut to go along with the win. Packers Chargers. This was a surprise of the day. I don't consider the Chargers to be a very good football team, but they beat the snot out of the Packers 26 to 11. It was never that close. Green Bay's offense simply did not move. And, uh, you know, it's just something we haven't really seen out of the Packers this year. And despite it basically being a home game in Los Angeles, uh, they got smoked, honestly. The Chargers go to 4-5, and five, and the Packers fall to 7-2. and two. And then Sunday Night Football. I, ha- I thought this had the potential to be the game of the year. It wasn't, but it was a really good game. And the Baltimore Ravens beat the New England Patriots 30-27. to Lamar Jackson continues to be insane. The Ravens are basically unbeatable in primetime. They're 11-0 and at home in primetime since 2011. The Ravens go to 6-2, and hand the Patriots their first loss. Personally, I feel like the, that Belichick just kind of gave them this one. He doesn't want any of this undefeated talk going on. He doesn't want to reveal his real game plan for Lamar Jackson in case they meet in the playoffs. And I feel like if these two teams meet again later on down the line, I think it would be a different result. But on Sunday night, Baltimore, period, point blank, was the better team. And that Patriots defense was mauled all night by Lamar Jackson. Very impressive. I think he's an MVP candidate as well. And then on Monday night football, the Black Cat game. Or, uh, about I don't know if it was like midway through the game or what it was. It was pretty early in the game. This black cat appears on the field. At the time, the Giants were up by nine points. 
and then they got outscored 36 to nine after that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The Cowboys win 37 to 18. Dallas goes to five and three, keeping their heads above water, which is Philadelphia. Uh, the Cowboys are nine and one against the NFC East since 2008, 18, excuse me, since 2018, but they're six and eight against all other teams. That's interesting. <clears throat> excuse me. Once more, the Rams, Saints, Falcons, and Bengals were all on a bye. Uh, the Rams and Bengals obviously coming off that game in London. So <clears throat> two things I want to talk about. I ran I ran a couple polls on Twitter. Um, the first thing the first thing I asked was at this point, who is your NFL MVP? That's what I wanted to know. Who's your MVP? I gave a few options. Uh, let me pull it up here as I get Twitter on my phone here. So I said, who's the NFL MVP? This was at uh, 8.42 on Sunday night. And I gave Russell Wilson, Christian McCaffrey, Lamar Jackson, or other, and told people to tweet me. The winner of this poll, I was surprised by this, is Christian McCaffrey. With 43%, there was 87 votes, so thank you to those who voted. I normally get like eight votes on my Twitter polls. I got 87 this time. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, 43% of the vote, Russell Wilson, 36, Lamar Jackson, 20, and, uh, other was 1%. Some of the ones I got, you guys are real funny on Twitter, aren't you? Uh, some of the replies I got for uh, other were not Andy Dalton, NFL officiating and Ryan Finley. So, uh, yeah, you guys are funny, really funny people, really funny people. Christian McCaffrey, I think the, the case could obviously be made. He's on pace for one of the best seasons in the history of of football with the way he's totaling up scrimmage yards, touchdowns. He's touching the ball at an insane rate. He is the Carolina Panthers offense, defense, special teams, everything revolves around Christian McCaffrey. And I think there's a very legitimate gripe or a legitimate point to be made that if they don't have him and without Cam Newton, they have nothing at all. And I think, I think it's something to think about. And for me though, my money is still on Russell Wilson because you know, I've been thinking about that meme, you know, that guy sitting in the park where he's got a table and he has this point and then underneath it it says, change my mind. Mine would say, the Seattle Seahawks are just the chargers of the NFC, change my mind. Because every Sunday they're playing in some crazy late game, trying to come back, trying to win the game, and every time it feels like they do it. The chargers, now they normally don't, but it feels like Russell Wilson puts the team on his back and does it each in, week in and week out. It's so impressive. And I just think that Seattle, the entire franchise, is built around him. In Carolina, you still have Luke Keekley, You still have Cam Newton, who, although, like I said, is done for the year. And you still have Greg Olson. You still have some pieces around. But the franchise in Seattle is Russell Wilson. I understand Bobby Wagner's on the other side of the ball. I get it. But... It's in, I just Russell Wilson is just so impressive to me every time. Every time I watch him play, <clears throat> excuse me, he he just blows my mind. So he has my vote for uh, for the MVP. And and the other Twitter poll that I ran was, um, the other Twitter poll that I ran was this one had had much less engagement, only forty three votes. And I understand that I'm tweeting to a biased audience here. I'm tweeting towards mainly one group of people. Uh, but my question was, right now, who would you rather be? The 2-6 and six Cleveland Browns 
were the 0-8 Cincinnati Bengals. I got 43 votes, and 74% of them said they'd rather be the 0-8 Bengals. And you might be saying, well, how does that make any sense? The Bengals are terrible. Yeah, but the Browns are too. The Browns lost again on Sunday, this time to the Denver Broncos. They go to 2-6, and and the weight of these mega Super Bowl-like expectations seems to have finally caught up to the Cleveland Browns. Because, you know, earlier this week you had Baker Mayfield storm out of a press conference. He was, he was, oh, wow, look at that, moving my mic. Moving my mic, it's making noise. You had Baker Mayfield storm out of a press conference upset over the questioning. You have Odell Beckham who can't seem to wear the right equipment. Him and Jarvis Lantry were told during the game on Sunday if they don't change their shoes at halftime, they can't play in the second half. This coming after Odell Beckham was already in trouble for wearing a watch he wasn't supposed to wear earlier this year. On top of this, Odell wants the ball more. Your best player, in my opinion, Nick Chubb, is coming off the field consistently on third downs. He's not getting the ball in crucial situations. Your defense has been banged up and they're giving up big plays. You have a defensive back playing with a broken hand that plays a terrible game, has, I don't know, 15 missed tackles in a game. After the game, tweeting at reporters and fans, calling them crackers, calling the white fans crackers, the reporters crackers, threatening to shoot them, threatening to kill them. And on top of this, you still have a little bit of hope because you have the easiest schedule in the league coming up. But this was supposed to be a team of destiny. This was supposed to be this great team. But you still have a a rookie head coach. Teams have the book and the game plan and the blueprint for Baker Mayfield now. Listen, this isn't college football. And I love college football, and obviously I started the podcast talking about it. But the level of coaching and defensive game planning and scheming, the the overall scheming and, and just coaching complexity and just the level of it in college football is so far inferior to the NFL. These are the best players in the world. You give them two years, a year and a half of Baker Mayfield, and it's not going to be easy. And so here's what I'm saying. There's a lot of people already in Cleveland that are clamoring for Freddie Kitchens to be fired. There were some people at the start that loved this hire by Cleveland. There were others that didn't. I thought it was all right. I didn't know what to think. But I knew he was a rookie head coach, and that's a lot to balance in that locker room with those personalities for a rookie head coach. So Freddie Kitchens is is trying to figure out, how do I get the ball to Nick Chubb? How do I put the ball in my best player's hands in Odell Beckham? How do I still get the ball to Jarvis Landry? How do I do this with a bad offensive line? And how do I win some of these games by doing all this? And 
a lot of, like I said, a lot of people are saying Freddie Kitchen should be fired. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that at the end of the year, he will get fired. I think the Browns will move on. But I don't think Freddie deserves as much of the blame as he's getting. I think a lot of it falls on Baker Mayfield. Now, there are situations like Nick Chubb coming off the field on third down. That's a Freddie Kitchens thing. Like Freddie Kitchens continuing to use 11 personnel instead of 12 personnel where he's like like just insanely more success, successful with 12 personnel and he he refuses to continue to use it for whatever reason. So like that's a problem. That that's a Freddie Kitchens thing. But when it comes to Odell Beckham, when it comes to getting Odell the ball, the Browns had an opportunity. He was open on Sunday. Baker Mayfield didn't throw it to him. He missed him. And that's been the the occasion that's that's been what's happened on several occasions where Odell Beckham has been open and Baker Mayfield hasn't gotten in the ball for whatever reason. We always talk about a sophomore slump in the NFL, and I think you're seeing that precisely with Baker Mayfield right now. Teams have tape on him. The game is still fast for him. He's also trying to balance all these personalities as a quarterback. But... When it comes to him getting the ball to Odell Beckham, that's on that's 100% on the quarterback. And the great ones find a way to get their best receivers the ball. We've seen it time and time again. Baker Mayfield has not been able to do that with Odell Beckham. Some of that falls on Freddie Kitchens, but in my opinion, almost all of that falls on Baker Mayfield. And listen, I like Baker. I really do. I've said it before. I've said it on on the YouTube version of Ball Don't Lie. Go check that out. Ball Don't Lie. Uh, Baker Mayfield. YouTube.com slash Audio More. I, I, I hate how much I like Baker Mayfield. But he's frustrated. Everyone's frustrated in Cleveland. It's it's beautiful. But, you know, I don't think Freddie Kitchens deserves as much blame as he's getting. And I don't think John Dorsey, the GM of the Browns, will fire him during the season. I think John Dorsey is very much about continuity. He's very much about image. He doesn't want people saying, oh, same old Browns. He's not going to fire a guy that he respects like Freddie Kitchens. I don't think he's going to do it in the middle of the season. And he might not do it at all because he's still, he doesn't want that that whole, you know, fire him, hire another guy thing that the, the Browns have done over and over again, it seems like, the past 10 years, 20 years. Unless there's a guy out there that you absolutely cannot refuse, like Lincoln Riley, I don't I don't know that Freddie Kitchens gets fired this year. I really don't. So yeah, that's my thoughts. That's my thoughts on the NFL. Um we can we can run through really quickly if you guys want to. Uh we still have a little bit of time. We're at uh, we're at thirty one minutes. We can we can do whatever we want. It's my podcast. Uh let's check out uh let's check out what's going on uh in week ten. Of the NFL, what games? Uh, what games we're gonna see? Thursday night football: the Chargers at the Raiders. The Lions are at the Bears at one o'clock on CBS. The Ravens are at the Bengals at one o'clock on CBS. The Bills at the Browns. That should be a good game. One o'clock on CBS. The Panthers at the Packers. This game was a one o'clock game. It's been moved back to a four twenty-five kick on Fox. The Panthers and the Packers. Then you got the Falcons at the Saints. That's a one o'clock game on Fox. The Giants at the Jets meeting in the regular season, same stadium. Uh, it's going to be a home team for a home game for the Jets this time. 
Uh, both those teams are combined 3-14, and 14, 1 o'clock on Fox. Cardinals are across the country at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Jameis Winston is blind. He needs surgery, LASIK eye surgery. The dude squints everywhere. That's why he can't see. That's why he throws so, so many interceptions. That's my theory. Uh, Tampa is 2-6. and six. The Cardinals are 3-5-1. and one. That's a 1 o'clock game on Fox. <coughs> Excuse me. The Chiefs and the Titans. Uh, this one's a 1 o'clock game at, on CBS uh, from Nashville. The Dolphins are at the Colts. That's a 4 o'clock game on CBS. The Rams are at the Steelers. That's a 425 game on Fox. And then your Sunday night football game will be the Vikings at the Cowboys at 820 on NBC with Alan Chris. And your Monday night game might be the best Monday night game of the year. The Seattle Seahawks at the undefeated 8-0 San Francisco 49ers. And, uh, yeah, you have a lot of teams on a bye this week. The Eagles, Patriots, Redskins, Broncos, Jags, and Texans are all on a bye this week. So that's a lot. That's quite a few. So not your normal. I did mention earlier that we would talk about um, that we would talk about the uh, Gold Glove winners in the in baseball. So let's go ahead and uh, and check that out real quick. Your uh, your Gold Glove winner at first base in the American League was Oakland A's first baseman Matt Olson. Um, at second base was Yolmer Sanchez from the Chicago White Sox. Um, let's see here. Shortstop, you had Francisco Lindor from Cleveland, just a remarkable talent. Um, okay, I'm looking at this, and and there's just this is this is not the right list. This is not what I was wanting. This is a very complicated list. Okay, so we'll we'll just let's just skip it. Let's just skip the Gold Glove winners. We don't want. I mean, do you guys really care? I don't know that I care. You know, I don't know that I care, which... Okay, here we go. Okay, this is the list I wanted, so we'll go with it. American League, pitcher Zach Grinke, catcher Roberto Perez, first base Matt Olson, second base Yolmer Sanchez, third base Francisco Lindor, um, shortstop Matt Chapman, left field Alex Gordon, center field Kevin Kiermeyer, Tampa Bay Rays, great center fielder, uh, right field Mookie Betts from the Boston Red Sox. In the National League, Mike Leake, who spent half the year in the AL, half the year in the NL. Uh, JT Realmuto at catcher. First baseman Anthony Rizzo. Second baseman Colton Wong. Third baseman Nolan Arenado. He's just spectacular. His shortstop is Nick Ahmed from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Left fielder is David Peralta from the Diamondbacks. Your center fielder is Lorenzo Cain. And your right fielder is Cody Bellinger, who some might think will be the MVP. How about the Arizona Diamondbacks? Mike Leake. Nick Ahmed and David Peralta, all three Gold Glove winners for the D-backs. So there you go. I did care. I did care, but you know, I just I started talking football and everything. So you know, you know how it goes. All right. So this pretty much wraps it up. This is the tenth episode of the Baltimore Live Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me on all my socials, which is basically just Twitter and Instagram at Audielmore A U T Y E L M O R E. And uh, the Bulls just blew a huge lead, and they lost to the Lakers. I think they did. Whatever. They suck. Ugh, ball don't lie.